Welcome back to Sarah and Tech. I'm Sarah, and today I'm going to be interviewing Yusra. Uh, Yusra is a BSU student who's studying computer science. Is that right? Yes. Um, what year are you in? Um, I'm in my second year in masters. Oh wow! Yeah. So you're almost done. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> are you writing a thesis? Uh, I am writing actually at the moment. I'm writing the thesis proposal. Mm-hmm. Next semester, I will be writing my thesis and oh, wow. hopefully be done with my work. Oh wow! So they didn't like spread it out with like doing like the lit review and then all that like. I have it's done all. that like in the summer mm-hmm. and then it's just time to write the proposal now and continue from where I have uh, started. Do you know how many pages it has to be or like it normally is for in your department? Proposal? Uh, well, like proposals, I think, are like five pages, right? No, they're actually like from 10 to 15. Oh, wow. Or maybe more. Uh, mine is currently with the figures. It's uh, <laughs> about 20 or something. And do you know about where, how long your final thesis was going to be? Um, sometime between like February and March. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it would be sometime. The defense would be sometime. And oh, then wow. the, the thesis uh, should be like proposed uh, from before that. So it like your thesis ends up being like over 100 pages, right? Uh, I'm not sure. But I hope not. Like 100 pages are a lot. I'm not sure if I can write 100 pages. Yeah, Mine was like 120 and they oh. told me it was short. God. They're like, you, <laughs> you got off so easy, it was short. And I'm like, I'm out to like Appendix K or something, guys. Like, Yeah. I, think, I don't think this was short. Yes, I'm not very good at writing. Like, especially in English, it's not my first language. So um, I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. What is your first language? Arabic. And can I ask where you grew up? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm I'm uh, originally from Egypt, mm-hmm. so we speak Arabic. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And you have a very rich culture and heritage. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, we do, yes. So how did you go from being born in Egypt to ending up in Boise, Idaho? Yeah. <laughs> like, out of all the cool places you could pick, you picked Boise, Idaho? Well, actually, I didn't like actually big okay so um long story short i am a fulbright awardee and then i have which means i have a fulbright scholarship to mm-hmm. study masters in the united states mm-hmm. um so this is basically why i am in the united states for the part um or like why i am in poise because i chose kind of Boise State University to study to like to study my master's in. Mm-hmm. So this is why I st- I like I am in Boise now. I love Boise actually. Oh okay. Yeah, I it's, do love it. It's like a small big town. It's um it's a big town. Like for me, I come from a very small town in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like a small, comfy um, kind of town, and then uh, like Boise is way much larger than where I come from. But still, it has way less people than where I come from. So, and especially that I came uh, last year during COVID, it was winter as well. Mm-hmm. So I could barely see any person like on the street. Like I felt so like lonely and like, where am I? <laughs> yeah, but it, it's getting better now. Yeah, but I, love, uh, I like it actually because like it's, it's very calm and it's very, like people here are very sweet. And then it's uh, it's peaceful. It's very safe. Yeah, and it's safe. 
course for a sound town this size we are very safe like yeah. you can go out at any night any time in the night and walk on the green belt and it isn't like we have the green belt killer and yeah running around yeah exactly <laughs> so these are the things uh, like apart from the university itself and like the department and especially that there isn't an, an nlp like my i do wanted to study nlp mm-hmm. and then i was mainly searching for universities that has nlp research group within their cs department Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Boise um, um, was my first choice, actually. That's very cool. Yeah. I didn't know our NLP group at BSU is that powerful, but it's, like, headed up by Casey Covington. Uh, Casey Kennington. There we go. He's my advisor, yeah. He's very knowledgeable. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah, he's a, uh, he's a nice person. Like, I, I like working with him. He's, like, understanding, and he has so much knowledge, and he's very cooperative and, like, a... I do like working with him, yeah. He, I think, was actually, like, in Egypt for a couple years uh, while working on his PhD or right after his PhD, too. And so he just recently came back to the United States within, like, the last five years. Oh, I didn't know that part about Egypt. I do know that he has been a pro, but I'm not sure if he's... Did I say Egypt? I think I meant to say Germany. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I know. Yeah, sorry, wrong country. Yeah. Thinking about <laughs> Egypt because you said you're from Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So that's really cool. How did you get your interest in natural language processing or NLP? So it was like uh, I have a um, I have a bachelor in electrical engineering mm-hmm. um, uh, with a minor in computer engineering, and then it was like very far away. Not very, but like uh, not very close to data science. Mm-hmm. But then, like uh, I thought that I I was good at like technology in general. At least like I have an overview of things that I don't have a lot of information about. But then the thing with, with data science is that I just couldn't believe that applications are that smart. Like I, I I cannot be convinced with the idea that they are like that smart and that lively. So if you talk to um, Siri or Alexa or something like you, you can for a moment like you can actually feel like you're talking to another person, mm-hmm. and that actually just irritated me that I don't know how they did that. Okay, so yeah, that mostly what got me interested in NLP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to, of course, um, learn about data science in general and then NLP. Um, from what, where I come from, I, I, as I said, I live in a very small um, town in Egypt. We didn't have the resources. Like, I didn't have someone who, like, who had uh, major studies in, or PhD or something in um, NLP. And I actually, I did work as a TA for my university, so I'm like... Uh, around by um, like PhD students and master students mm-hmm. and stuff, but yeah, I didn't find someone to uh, like. People did their best, but like I did want to learn more, mm-hmm. and then this is where I applied to um, the full price scholarship. Well, that's really cool that you got it, and that's definitely a really big accomplishment. Yes, it is. There's I'm a, very lucky. There's a lot of people that compete for it. Is yeah, what I understand. Yeah. So. yeah. Why didn't, I mean, why didn't you go for electrical engineering and continue that path that you were on? Or is it just like you were so entranced with NLP? Um, okay, so I did try to go on with the the things that I already know. 
So I wanted to maybe continue studying or working in um, embedded systems, which is very close to um, my degree. And then, um, like, it wasn't easy to get better at embedded systems, especially that it needs some hardware tools Mm -hmm. and then probably a lab to, like, practice and test your um, equipment and make some cool stuff. And I didn't have access to, like, to that, Mm -hmm. to that many um, tools. So I couldn't just go on with it, knowing that um, these are my limits. So I like I shifted a bit to have a better opportunity. Yeah, it's, it was like a kind of trade off. Yeah, kind of. Because so. you kind of, I mean, that I did that too. My bachelor's degree has nothing to do with my master's degree. Mm-hmm. So I totally get you. I like was studying turtles, endangered turtles. Oh, and I'd put statistics on you know, all the biology experiments that you have to do. Um, And then I realized what the teacher was doing. I was like, there's probably a better way to do this. And I was researching stats, ended up applying for a master's in stats. Mm -hmm. And so I completely, you know, changed gears and went from a background of like biology and turtles and mud to like sitting in a computer lab with, you know, a desk and a mouse and (laughs) keyboard. So I I mean, I, I understand like sometimes it's like a 180. Yeah. Um, this is a career shift. Like mine doesn't even considered as a career shift. It's just like a uh, a minor. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you have any thoughts on GPT three? Yes. So, uh, if I can ask you, why are you specifically asking about GPT three? Um, just because I want to talk more about GPT three, um, the possibility of GPT four, and then the likelihood that. Um, GPT-5 is going to pass the Turing test. Okay. Um, and so it would be completely like autonomous and aware of itself. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's only two versions away from where we're currently at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of just wanted to ask your opinion around that space. Okay. So what I, I don't know much about GPT-3, mm-hmm. but what I know is that um, like in my, f- in my thesis field, I think I, I am using BERT. Uh, and then, um, like, I have, of course, did some literature review about what other alternatives we do have. Mm-hmm. And then GBT was one of them. Um, so I do uh, know that these language models have, uh, they, they're doing good. BERT obviously is doing very good compared to others' alternatives. But they, they do lack, um, they all are trained on text. Which is like when you think about it, like how can bird do bird do good on language understanding tasks when he's when when it's only knowledge is from text or corpus? Like how does it understand actually the meaning of kind like happiness or joy or or I mean, just like in the inflection of a word changes the meaning of the word. Like saying okay versus okay. Like in our language, that's like I- I'm okay or okay. That's like a question mark. Um, so I, I totally get that and see yeah. that. Also, um, written text is so much more formal in yes. the way. And then there are, there are other stuff like, for example, how does it understand the word red? Like, how can it actually, like, we know red. We know what's red because we've seen red. Mm-hmm. For a person who is not, who is, isn't capable of using his eyes for some, re- for some reason, um, 
he doesn't know actually the meaning of red, except that we might describe that it's a color, and there is other colors that are yellow or green, or we can give it like a bunch of a, a large bunch of examples, and then he can interfere somehow that these are related, like the the red and yellow and green and blue, they are like in 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 one category somehow. This is what like what what bird can learn. Just that it cannot go beyond that because it doesn't have the the right input. So, um, but I mean CNN, which are like the state of the art for a lot of visual data, also don't do color very well. So if you try to teach them different colors, it doesn't pick up on them very well. It picks up on pattern. So in general, most machine learning techniques just don't like learning colors. Yes, exactly. If you will. <laughs> yeah, but they like we can always aspire for. Uh, a higher level of approximity, right? Like we can, this is this is basically why we are doing all of this. We're trying to get a higher level of up, like approximate um, way of thinking or doing tasks that would, in my perspective, I don't think it would get like as high as we can perceive and deal with information mm-hmm. as humans. But it can, like, we are aspiring to for it to get really close from what we can do. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, why, like, language models, okay, everything has its own limitations. But then if you added some kind of visual input to the textual input, mm-hmm. then you would be able to learn, to teach uh, uh, or make the language models learn more about, like, the meaning is not just, from the corpus it has, it's like it's beyond that. And this is actually have been like, people have been doing this for like for many, um, for many uh, language models. For example, like there is a pixel bird that learns from pixels of image or maps pixel of of image to a corresponding text. Mm -hmm. And then there is, um, there is one late, uh, latest, a uh, model that use Electra, which is a descendant of BERT, with um, another um, visual semantics um, model. Uh, com- it's, compi- it's called WAC, combining them both somehow to do the same um, task, which is like putting some visual semantics into text. And furthermore, uh, there is some work done that makes emotions even, emotional input into, uh, with text. And this is like, this would get us a step closer, I think. We're making like an application that actually can understand and can be adapted in tasks such such as um, robotics. Mm-hmm. So for robot. We, we, like, robots need to deal, actually, with people. They do have cameras or they do have a visual input. So why not? Like, why not make them interact in the way? Like, you cannot just put uh, a BERT uh, model with a robot. He wouldn't understand, like, what's that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a really interesting uh, field. Yeah. Yeah, and robotics is its own... I mean, like Tesla cars, self-driving Tesla cars. Yeah. Some people feel like they'll never actually be self-driving. Yeah. Supposedly, there's an update that's going to be released, like I think later this month, where it will be full self-driving. 
But um, from what you're saying, it feels like you don't think um, artificial intelligence is ever going to surpass human intelligence or? No. You don't think so? No, I don't. Okay. Like not all human intelligence. So to build a, a like a powerful machine, you would need someone who is as smart or more smart than the machine to actually build the model. Like the people, like if you build, if you write just a piece of code, you would know you're supposedly you would know <laughs> what it's doing. Yeah. Hopefully, if you write the code, <laughs> you might know what it's doing. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think it will like uh, pass what human can do. Yeah. Have you seen any of the the new tools out? Um, I can't remember the names where it'll just like auto build the AI model or like auto build the code for you. It's just with from plain English. Yeah. Uh, so you can literally just put in like, I'd like to make a weather app that's attached to like this other API and pull in this, these images and it'll write like the Python code out for you from plain I, text. Yeah. I have heard about them. I didn't actually check one out, but this must be very interesting. How does it work? Did you do it? Um, yeah. I know someone who has it like right on their phone and they just showed me like they did the voice to text on the phone, plain English text showed up doing that weather app example and then it built the python code and then they were able to execute it on their phone to like make an app and it was like in under 10 minutes oh yeah and i was just like mildly afraid because i run a data science like department and stuff or you know i manage people in data science and i'm like oh golly gee (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly like i would be afraid to my career (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah kind of <laughs> so, it's always pushing you to be better yeah you have to be better than these models that come out or yes. you have to know how to use them exactly yeah um so then you only need one person to do the work of 10 people mm-hmm. in theory yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yes. or you know we can just only have a four-day work week with four hours a day that exactly. would be that would be great yes that would be, great. <laughs> <laughs> be almost like we're we're being treated like humans or something <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yes yeah but the thing is like uh i do like my job like i do like working with um i used to work with data and i do i did like it and i, I didn't like mind working long hours so I'm not sure if uh, if that would be any different now. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> so I mean, like, I definitely get into flow and stuff. Um, so like where you lose track of time in coding. Exactly. Uh, but after I had a kid, it's kind of hard yeah, of to course, be obviously. in that flow state. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that really was like the shift, like, because I mean... I turned out like 15 publications in less than a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I turned out like a master's degree and all that. And I did my bachelor's and my master's degree in five and a half years and mm-hmm. all about like being super productive and getting a lot done. Um, yeah. And then I had my daughter and I was like, she sounds way more interesting with her like baby babble than oh. some executives <laughs> sound, unfortunately. Um, not to say I don't listen in meetings. um yeah it's just you know realigning of values um which is why i make jokes about like the four hour four day work week um yeah and it's shown that like you end up being more productive when you know you don't have to be at the office Mm -hmm. five days a week eight hours a day um i think japan is even doing a four day work week with like six hours a day now um or yeah yeah i've heard about that and it increased productivity by 60 percent um so i'm not saying that um we should 
work less, but it indicates that if we work less, yeah. our productivity goes up because we don't have to like. Yes. So I kind of feel the same. Like whenever I have a lot of time, I don't actually accomplish that much. Like most likely I, I just like start thinking and then like thinking and then thinking like and then I just find out that I just got off the actual problem and I started to think about some side problems that <laughs> and then whenever I just have small amount of time I be like very uh, I concentrate a lot and then I don't get distracted that easily and I like I get the work done which is like I like it so maybe this is the reason behind like less work and hours means more productivity maybe yeah I mean I found personally um now with the way my life set up is that when I'm not actively thinking about the problem, mm -hmm. that's when the solution comes to me. Yeah. And then when I go back to work the next day, that's when I actually sit down yeah. and code out the solution. Yeah. Um, and so when I guess it's my subconscious that's actually solving it yeah. and trying to actively engage the subconscious just yes. it doesn't work sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, but this comes actually after a uh, a long time with the inputs to the problem like you have to spend some time actually to understand the problem mm -hmm. and I do like spend most of my time understanding the problem and taking absorbing in so much information about it and then I take I, I think I take less time in processing the what like what should we do for the problem then I take to read and like get some more information about what actually I'm doing so, yeah, and I do get the solution in showers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. When you're not actively trying to pursue it, that's when it just comes to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, what do you see as the next step for you after you finish your master's? Um, that's a good question. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. I have, like, many roads for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to explore more in what... Um, I'm still exploring what am I doing good. And then, um, like, it, would, it wouldn't be something new to me. Like, I have shifted uh, a time. Okay, so one time. So it's, it, would be, it wouldn't be that hard. But I want to do something with data science, of course. But what exactly in data science? I'm not that uh, certain about it. Maybe, um, like, I love NLP. I do love NLP. And I hope after I finish my thesis, I would have much more information than that I do now. And it's, like, really interesting to me, especially that I'm a very uh, goal-oriented person. So I like to see the output in front of my eyes. Uh, and this is something something I couldn't do um, with uh, hardware or embedded system because I, like, I couldn't um, get the whole functionality working. I didn't have all the tools to make it all work. So yeah, and like this is something that is possible, I think, in software engineering or data science. Um, so yes, maybe NLP and definitely data science. Do you think you're going to go for a PhD or go into industry or... Um, okay, at the moment, go I to don't a have... research firm or yeah. research lab? So research is very, uh, like, 
new to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at first, like, it needs some patience. And this is something that I needed to work on myself on because I don't have that much patience. I just need things solved and I solved them. And like, I couldn't do that out of the moment uh, with research. So, uh, but as soon as I like got my head into the problem and I started reading more, which is something I like to do, I just came like profound about it. And like, I, I could, Like, I could add to the solutions. Just, like, it wasn't... I wasn't at that stage when I first started. So I could just read and understand and, like, yeah, this is good solution. And, oh, okay, this solved this. And just I, I could make the connections, but I couldn't actually propose, a, a, like, a solution for something, for a research question or a research problem. So I became very interested about it, actually. But for PhD, I'm not sure if I have like a like a strong problem that needs a PhD to be solved, kinda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I might go for um, the industry first, or maybe a research company in the industry, and then like have like more information about what problems. Like by interacting actually with problems, and then I might have a a big um, or like a, a, an idea or a solution or a problem that I think I can solve through PhD. But it's definitely an option, yeah. So a lot of professors, when you you apply to get a PhD, um, you I don't know if you've done this or or what have you, but um, they have their own research areas and their own problems and their own funding. Yeah, and you kind of just join their lab and they mold you mm-hmm. um, to solve those problems. Yeah, depending on what research lab you join, um, each professor runs their programs very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of usually you don't have a problem associated with like yeah. the individual student that goes with the student. Uh-huh. Um, that's kind of unique. Um, to yeah. do that but uh, going in because I've gone into industry I've also applied to like a PhD program um, and was going to do research and decided not to go with it and I did have a problem that was associated with me and a whole project coming with me and funding coming with me mm-hmm. I decided not to do it um, but I also did like the research lab um, working on nuclear research mm-hmm. um, and You know, doing that, I learned a lot, um, and I definitely transitioned from being a statistician Mm -hmm. into being a data scientist because I became more interested in, like, the simulation style um, and away from, like, just the boring p-values, if you will. Yeah. But that being said, I I used p-values in my my day-to-day. And then, of course, I've done, like, consulting work in industry. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say if you're just getting out of, like, a master's or academia that, like, probably go with like an academically leaning like research facility or yeah. or stay in academia yeah um I know it's a lot of fun um and it's really hard to do academia after you have a kid mm-hmm. is the the really big thing that I realized because <laughs> yeah. I tried taking some PhD classes recently and oh yeah <laughs> while working full-time while dealing with a three-year-old it's how did that work um I passed Okay. I, I mean, I mean, more than past, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't recommend juggling that many things. Yeah. You can do it. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, if you also run a meetup and a podcast and yeah. take a class, it, 
just might be a little much. But I do recommend, um, like, if you have, even if you don't have a project, to apply to a PhD um, and just see who has similar research interests to yeah. you. Um, I know I just cold called professors mm-hmm. and told them what my research interest was. And then they would tell me whether or not I should apply okay. to be considered. So that way you don't waste the application fee. Yeah. Or even just sending them an email saying, hi, you know, here's my research interests. Here's what my thesis is on. I'm interested in a PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wanted to be in your lab, do you recommend I make an application? And they'll respond to either like, yes, or That's they'll nice. ignore you. I mean, if they ignore you, obviously don't apply to them because they're not worth your time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I definitely had quite a few people that responded to my cold contacts mm-hmm. or um, ask Dr. Kennington yeah. um, who he recommends because he might even have a someone he can refer to you to. Even yeah. if you don't have like, here's my problem I want to solve on my PhD um, because they will definitely like shape you and mold you. Um, the one thing I would recommend is not to do it at the same institution as your master's. Okay. Um, because usually like the whole idea is that a whole program at a university is kind of like thinks the same way. So like for stats, the program I was in was applied. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I went to another university, I should have gone to like a more theory based university. Okay. Um, that's contrasting with what I was to become stronger yeah. at what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are like my little bits of advice if you want to stay in academia yeah. or, or go into like research industry the tempting thing though that this is a very good advice thank you <laughs> uh the tempting thing is that phd in the u.s is of a much easier process than in other countries really yeah. to apply and be accepted or to get it to actually apply apply mm-hmm. and get it oh okay so like yes you can apply to almost every university but um in other universities like in in here i think that when you apply like from what i know uh, when you apply you don't need the approval like with the application you can apply any any like anyway without the approval with or without the approval of uh one of the faculty staff mm-hmm. to advise to be uh, your advisor but then you might be wasting the application fees and stuff like yes that. yeah but in other uh countries that is not just applicable you need before applying you need to have an advisor mm-hmm. and you would even apply when you apply you would need to submit a, a research proposal that oh, wow. is very specific about, like not very specific, but specific to some point about what you're, what you will be working on, and like something like the, the thesis proposal I'm submitting now for masters. So after working like four month, uh, in the summer, uh, four to three month. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's nice in the way like, if you apply to a program in the United States. Um, someone who has more experience is picking the research problems and gives you guidance Mm -hmm. Um, and everyone usually underneath them like all the students underneath them are being guided and doing similar research to one Mm -hmm. another so that's nice Um, but usually if you apply to a school and you don't have someone that's willing to advocate for your application you're not going to get past yeah so at first like you need to uh, contact the advisor that you think uh, like your research would map with his mm-hmm. area of interest and then he would either accept you or not and then you can apply and add him as your advisor. 
Yeah. So usually I, uh, I like, I would just call the professors up. Um, yeah, but you would need to have a research proposal. Well, yes, if you're outside the United States. Yes. But in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. I would be like, hey, I'm really interested in insects. I see you do insects. Um, I studied coleoptera. Exactly. You, you know. And yeah. And this is like, this is, as I, uh, as I was saying, that this is tempting to have a PhD here because it's like very much easier, especially if you don't have a, a research uh, problem to work on mm-hmm. that you actually need how to tackle most, like at, at least the first parts of it. So, like, it's easier to apply here than in other uh, countries. I mean, I hear everyone in Europe has, like, a master's degree. It's like, are you alive and breathing? Congratulations, you probably have, like, a master's. Yeah. So, um, Masters in Europe are very much easier than here, though. Like, they are just nine months or a year, even. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And they, like, some of them don't have even to do um, research at all. I mean, we have programs, I guess, like that. Mm-hmm. They do have the research, uh, research-based masters as well. These are uh, two years, maybe or eight and a half or something. Yeah, I did a lot of research. <laughs> so you're much more like well-versed in what country? So if you did go get a PhD, what country would you go to? U.S. Oh, you would stay in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much like easier to get start at least at the start mm-hmm. and then you would get involved more and you would work like you would have your head and the problem more and then you would be able to go on from there but you would need the first push so i think it's like it's easier here than in other places where you just need to come up with something to be your research topic for the next three to four five Hopefully it's only for max five years yeah. to get a PhD, especially when you start with a master's. Yeah, hopefully. My major professor would be like, it should only take you three years, Sarah. And I'd be like, yes, Bauman. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you say, Bauman. Of course, it will only take me three years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. But my my major professor was a little bit of a slave driver. He was known for it. Like... None of his students ever fell behind on any of their deadlines, ever. Okay. (laughs) That's good to know. That's a good thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. I was his second to the last student, and he was still relentless. Like, he was, like, three years away from retirement, and he was still, like, oh, everything is going to be on time for you. And I'm, like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's good. It's hard, though. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It does makes you like a better person, I think, after all of this done. Mm-hmm. So whatever I have now, I just think about the moment it would like end. And then like how much I would have uh, in my personality and in my knowledge out of this. So I like it. It calms me somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're going through it, it feels really overwhelming because yeah. the, the amount of new information. Yeah. Uh, but the, new skills too. Yeah, and yeah. the amount of new skills. But now, like looking back on it, like I apply like part of my thesis just like in a regular workday and think nothing of it. So it was a very great experience mm-hmm. for me. Like, of course, you're just gonna throw PCA on that and be able to read the output crazy yeah. good because spent two years on it. Exactly. I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it definitely changes you in like a good way, and you become so much better at writing, like technical writing, anyway. Yes. Yeah, and a lot of skills, actually. Like, 
um, the whole experience for me, so like my my English is becoming better, mm-hmm. I hope. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> I think we've talked previously and I feel like it has gotten a lot better. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and like my writing skills, it's still bad, but I'm getting somewhere. Like, yeah, slightly better. They're slightly better. Do they have a writing center at BSU? It, they do. Okay. Yeah. I I use the writing center. Yeah. When I was going to. Yes, yeah. I will definitely use it. Like <laughs> I know that I need it now. I know. <laughs> I mean, English is my first language, but I still used it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the other day, I saw this application that you give it just the keywords, and it would write an article for you. Yeah, the problem that it was in Arabic, so I cannot use it for my English writing. So yeah, but it's like really interesting. I could use something like that, and like I, I like I can of course edit, do a lot of edits, but at least I would have like a base, and then I can build over it, which is interesting. Because I mean, can you do that and then translate to English and then edit? Uh, or I mean I don't know how the syntax and the structure of the, the like the Google Translate are. is very um, smart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean I use transformers. So. Yeah, so it's it's really smart, but it's not like perfect, of course. Yeah, so you would need to do like uh, another work just for tr- that translation, apart from the word uh, the work that you would do for uh, editing the. Uh, the article itself yeah yeah but that sounds really interesting yeah i know um with gpt3 i have a friend who has access to it Mm -hmm. and we took like a really complex quantum paper and it summarized it down into like three sentences that like a five-year-old could understand oh and it actually was like interestingly like on target with what it was saying like so you know the summarization is like there are these particles and they move fast and I mean, there's a little bit more to it, but I was really surprised that GPT-3 could handle like a quantum yeah. uh, like journal article and distill it down into like two or three sentences. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of applications out there and I can only imagine how it's just going to get more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Is it outperforming Bird though? I don't know um, because the applications for GPT-3 are just so wide ranging. Like it even does voice to text. Oh, um, I know um, that one of the voice to text companies out there that is really good, possibly named Rev, yeah. <laughs> that I work for. OK, yeah. <laughs> and um, they they're using GPT-3 okay. as part of their process mm-hmm. for voice to text, okay. um, probably to check the Santex. I'm not actually on the that side of the house doing it, uh, but I thought it was interesting that it is part of the voice to text like schema. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're doing and so um, and GPT-3 can be used to like summarize articles be part of chatbots it isn't just this like one isolated um, you know I think BERT can be too like it's like the way BERT works it's taken oh sorry it's taken two sequences and mapping them so like um, like for like it is it has been applied to machine translation and then it works. And machine trans- translation basically is some data and some other data that it's not like this data. Both of them are text, like they are encoded maybe in the same way, but they're not the same data. And then 
uh, or even closed, like not even the same letters and like very different. And it maps them uh, together. So maybe the uh, speech to text would be the same, like uh, the same training process, I think. Like, I'm not sure, but yeah. Can be so NLP is not my specialty. Okay. Time series um, analysis yeah. is my, my thing, I guess. Yeah. So, but um, but that I always find that space like really interesting. And yeah. When will things actually pass the Turing test and pa- surpass human t- intelligence? Because I don't know. There's no way I've read like over two hundred thousand journal articles and, and all of that, if you will. So I mean, at least in that sense, it's more intelligent than yes. I yeah, yeah. They like computers can be intelligent in their own perspective or own definition of the word intelligence. Mm-hmm. So we know that they can do a lot more in, a sm- in the same amount of time that we can do. They can save a lot of information that we can do. And then if we're going to test them according to this, um, of course, they would outperf- outperform uh, other humans. But then it's not the only definition of intelligence. So, yeah, that's the thing. I think the weirdest thing I found recently is there are genetic markers for personality traits now. Okay. And I like did it on myself and it was actually kind of accurate. Oh. And it was like really weirded out. Like, of course, like, oh yeah, you have carb cravings. Like, okay, yeah, what girl doesn't? Um, but when it's like, you're very thoughtful and very emotional, I was like, and then it starts even getting (laughs) even more like accurate. And so it's just really weird. It's like, here are your 36 personality traits according to your genome. And I'm like, this is just weird. Okay, and what's the statistics about that, though? I mean, they have white papers that back it up, but I haven't delved too deeply into it other than seeing that, like, most of them felt correct. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they felt more correct than, like, the Zodiac. Like, okay. like you're a Gemini. Today will be a great yeah. day for you. It's like, <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I kind of took it at that level, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't read the white papers, but I thought it was an interesting idea. Yes, so yeah, that's definitely. like whole like nature versus nurture. Exactly. And it would change the whole pr- the, our perspective of that. You learn, uh, you're not born with this, you just learn it over time. So this says the exact opposite, that you are born with it. And it's like, in, it's in your system. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. And so it's not very clear where one starts and one stops mm-hmm. all the time yeah. um, for different individuals. So. Yeah. I always find that fascinating, um, exactly. just these things that we can't, like, truly measure. Yeah. Well, ethically measure anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, but we've been uh, talking for quite some time. Do you have any um, wrap-up ideas that you wanted to share that we didn't hit on? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe one just one idea um i'm just like uh like part of me i love technology of course i i like i i think i was born like that Uh, it was natural to me and then it just like uh i had no other it's kind of that i i did have didn't have any other choice beside joining technology because i i did like it and i was very good at it at first uh so um it was very much easier for me. But then I kept spending some time during my um, my undergrad studies 
that I wanted to promote technology, not because you are good or bad at it, but because that it would make your life much, much better. And it would open a lot of opportunities to you, especially like um, like women, especially for women. Um, because like, like I hear it all the time that like a woman is in a situation that she has to support for herself and her family. And when she doesn't have the right tools to do that, she would end up doing something very hard and very with the lit- with the least the least amount of money, mm-hmm. and that would be like uh, like I feel I just feel like sad uh, that not everyone have the opportunity to at least interact with technology. Just know it, learn it, and then like that save it for later some kind. Like it's it's uh, it's becoming a necessity somehow. And this is stump- something that encourages me actually to just spread um, like whenever and wherever and like for every tech person or uh, someone who works at tech, he just should talk about it with anyone that he can interact with, like from your kids, your neighbors, your community, and then much more, It like the circle goes much more than that and that it would make life change and it would like make a get better opportunities for people, and especially that like where I come from, um, it doesn't need a seed money. Like you don't need seed money to learn technology aside from um, maybe internet and a computer, which is not available for every person. But like with the research, I think they can find. An alternative, and they can find something, someone, or something that can help them with that. But they need to, like, we need to um, expand um, our passion about technology to make it other people's passion as well. Um, because, like, you're just like you can be, you can have an opportunity to change other people's lives with that. And this is actually something that motivates me. So, like, whenever I'm everywhere, actually, <laughs> like I, I, I like to talk to people normally, uh, and then like I would uh, like put this inside the topic somehow. I would ask them, and I would uh, tell them that they can do this, and this is might be a good solution to a problem they just told me about, and like. Um, Whatever it is, actually, like, it, it depends more on the situation itself. But, yeah, I, I think that um, anyone who has the gift, I consider it as a gift, to be able to, to love technology and that you had the resources to be better at it, mm-hmm. you would, like, you would need to do something more beyond getting yourself better and, like, expanding this to actually introducing other people to it or helping others to become also better at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like, uh, um, I think that's uh, necessary for like, for for a future, for a better future for for the world, actually. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I do Sarah in Tech is because the people that come on here have non-traditional backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So one of the people that was like a senior solutions architect entered into it like 
in his mid like 30s he's now in his 40s or you know and and so he didn't have the bachelors and the masters to like set him up into it and a lot of people you know some people do have that like from the age of like eight or nine they have access to internet and the computers and support from family but that because if you don't have that that shouldn't deter you from entering into it I know I regularly deal with the fact that I am a woman and that's Mm. generally a derogatory thing in a tech workplace and I am usually the only woman in um the technological workplace that I'm in and people are very rude to me Mm. and I kind of just have to bear it um and as I get older I realize that they have insecurities because a woman is doing their job and it's not my fault and I shouldn't feel bad yeah Definitely, Uh, yes. And a lot of, um, you know, we have to talk about technology. It's not going away. It's only becoming more prevalent. Yeah. You can't shun the use of a computer or, you know, programming and stuff like that. Even simple things as cleaning out your recycle bin on your computer or what have Mm -hmm. you. um, Or putting the files back if you accidentally deleted too many things. Um, You know, you can just get a script to run it for you. And it's a lot more quick than manually Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, I totally agree with you that um, technology isn't going away and people should become more aware of it and bring it yeah. into their lives and not shun it. Yes. Yeah. And it's part of our responsibility, I think, to to like to take some role in that process. Yeah. We like as a side work, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one pays me for my podcaster for yes. running a meetup. So I totally am all about spreading yeah. The gospel of data science or technology or what have you. Um, Most of the people that actually come on my podcast aren't data scientists. Yeah. Uh, So uh, obviously I have a tendency towards data scientists (laughs) because I can understand what they're saying. But (laughs) Travis probably can't. (laughs) But that's okay. And probably other people can't as well. Yeah. Um, But I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about your experiences. And good luck with your master's. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here, actually. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Sarah in Tech. Feel free to email me at sarah at sarahintech.net or follow me on Instagram at sarahintech. Hope you enjoyed listening.